This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Late Boomers, our podcast guide to creating your third act with style, power, and impact. Hi, I'm Kathy Worthington. And I'm Mary Elkins. Join us as we bring you conversations with successful entrepreneurs, entertainers, and people with vision who are making a difference in the world. Everyone has a story, and we'll take you along for the ride on each interview, recounting the journey our guests have taken to get where they are, inspiring you to create your own path to success. Let's get started. I'm Kathy Worthington. Today on our episode of Late Boomers, we are going to dive into the world of fitness and wellness with Pilates teacher extraordinaire, Curry Campbell. And I'm Mary Elkins. Curry is a certified Fletcher Pilates trainer and has trained many other Pilates teachers. She's also a business entrepreneur who owns Pilates Body Shop Los Angeles. And she's been voted one of the top 10 Pilates trainers in Los Angeles. She's appeared on television and in magazines. And both Kathy and I have trained with Curry. We look forward to bringing our listeners all the latest info on wellness and fitness. And let's start by welcoming Curry. Hi, Curry. Hi, ladies. Hi. Explain to us how the name Pilates has come to mean several different things to different trainers and how your trademark Fletcher Pilates may be a little different. That's actually such a good question and one that I've never had asked quite like that. Very concise. So Pilates actually was never even named Pilates. Pilates, the original practitioner, um, named it Contrology, which means study of body control. And his last name was Pilates. His name is Joseph Pilates. And there were five main teachers who studied with him in or around the later half of the 20th century. And then they took his work and they spread it out of New York City and to different places. So my teacher, Ron Fletcher, was given the permission to bring that work to Los Angeles. So he opened up the first Pilates studio in the early 70s in Rodeo. And his work was the original body of work from Mr. Pilates. And he added to it a whole body of work that was his own, that's based on um, both grand work, which he was a grand dancer, as well as other um, aspects of modern dance. So we have different techniques in the Fletcher work, like towel work, bar work, and floor work that are unique to what we do. But we do stay true to that original, I think it's a, it's a couple hundred exercises that are considered in the original repertoire of Pilates. And so Pilates kind of became like the name Kleenex. People just started calling anything that was vaguely associated or had something to do with core work, um, they, they called it Pilates-based. And Pilates kind of entered the, the um, lexicon like karate. It doesn't have a trademark. Fletcher Pilates has a trademark. Um, we worked for that. But it was a broad catalog of work that anyone could study and adapt into their own thing. And as time has gone on, you know, people have added to it. They have 
brought it into other practices and added it. They've, um, you know, they have brought it a little bit more from a study of body work into fitness. And so there's a lot of different components with Pilates. Is the Fletcher yeah. system different? It is. It's different and it's not. Here's what I'm going to say. It's kind of like cooking, right? You're Everyone's making food, but we all know that Italian cuisine is vastly different from French. And um, that some of the principles hold true, but your ingredients or how you serve that meal may, may be different. And so in Fletcher Pilates, we're very, very concerned with things like breath and an audible breath and precision and and really trying to find flow in the work. There were other disciples of Mr. Pilates that didn't have that same focus when they passed the work on. And so it's slightly different. Um, and that's and that's but the exercises themselves, if you really were to get together with all of the teachers who learned from those first five teachers with Joseph Pilates, and you were to really get into the exercises they know, we're all saying very similar things. It's just served up differently. And um, it sort of depends on what you resonates more with you. And finding a very educated teacher that wants to teach you the breadth of the work and help you explore that work is really the most important thing. And I go back far enough to know when the Ron Fletcher studio was going on in Beverly Hills. And I actually went to the rival one because there were two people who brought the original Pilates work with the reformers, the equipment and the breathing and stuff we did too, mm -hmm. that were, were, the other one was Kim Lee and mm -hmm. Mary and I, I, Mary found it first and I found it from her. I said, why do you look so good? What are you doing? Well, I, started <laughs> going, right, I, I started going over there to that studio. So we go way back. We know the original roots and all that. I know. Kim it's Lee so disappeared, great. disappeared and took everybody's money. But, but um, Ron Fletcher was a more legit his wife. Guy. I think, I think his wife stayed around and taught Pilates for a oh. little while. Wanda Bouvier. Yeah, Wanda. I don't know how to say her last name. Every person with yeah. a French background said, so, oh, she just hacked it. Um, but um, that I know she stayed and taught for a little while. And so, yeah, lots of people came through Ron's studio either to experience the work or to learn the work. And it's really how it got out to California, which is sort of amazing because, you know, I am a big believer that part of what's really interesting about Los Angeles culture is that we, we truly gave fitness to the world. And well, we yeah. could have that argument, but like that is a, as a thing that would be, I'll take it. I like that do, argument. Interesting to do, right? It, we've sort of brought this to the world culture, you know, being physically fit, I think is, it happens in every single culture, but really taking it on as a hobby, as a study as is really very LA focused. And when Pilates came out here and Ron sort of brought it to the celebs and the glams, as you ladies were, <laughs> still are. There were tons um, of glams yeah. and celebs at Kim Lee too. Tons, oh, yeah. tons of yeah. celebrities. And, and as that came out, it sort of filtered outwards. And I really, I, I, I look at where the work went and because it was located here, that's when it spread to other people who started to make videos of it and things and the world sort of started to know the name Pilates. If it hadn't ended up in Los Angeles, I don't know if it would have 
survived. I think you're right because there was no social media, but people were very much aware of what celebrities were doing with no social media, with no Instagram, you know? Yes. Ron had an unlisted phone number. He, he told us that he, he literally, he, he said, I unlisted my own phone number and I showed up and he just knew a bunch of people because he'd been a, um, a choreographer in LA. And so he had all of these amazing stories, which was great. If you could get Ron to tell you some stories about hanging out with Tallulah Bankhead, you were having a great day. And so, (laughs) you know, he just sat there, but he knew that that's what happened in LA. Like the word got out. And then if it was good, people came in. Yeah, he was so right. And tell us a little bit how you came to this field and what your early training was. And as part of that, tell us a little bit more about Joseph Pilates also. Sure. sure. Um, so I was actually, I went to, I attended art school in Philadelphia. And while in, in my junior year of art school, I was actually in a pretty significant car accident. I was hit by a car. And <gasps> when I was rehabbing from that in college, I, of course, was in a performing arts school. And one of the... Um, girls that I went to school with. I don't know if she was in my dorm or if she was just sitting next to me in class, but she said, you know, have you tried Pilates? And I said, yeah, 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 yeah. I did as an extracurricular and I hated it. She said, (laughs) no, you know, it's got machines and things like that. And so she referred me to one teacher who had a third floor walk up and a rickety little reformer. And after maybe three sessions, I felt significantly better than I had ever felt. So I continued to work with her. And then in early 2000, I moved out to Los Angeles um, with the idea that I was going to come out and work in television or film or the worst case scenario, be in a city with fantastic weather. And so I, <laughs> yeah. it was, I had family out here and I was like, you know, I don't know, rain, sunshine all year round. And um, I came out here and I started doing Pilates again, there weren't that many studios still 20 years ago, there weren't, there wasn't a studio on every single corner. And while I was here, the studio that I was going to in Burbank had a teacher training program and it was rehab based. They had a rehab practice in, in that particular studio that had physical therapists and physical therapists had designed the program. And they said, you know, are you interested in taking this? Cause you're in here all the time. And I said, you know, you know, maybe that is a good idea and I can do it, you know, if I'm gonna go into production, there's long stretches of time when you are not actually in production. This sounds like a really good um, side gig. And then it became my main gig. Uh-huh. And pretty much within the first two weeks, I was fully booked and I was really found it very rewarding. And I was working both with um, people who had exited um, rehab and they were full Pilates clients as well as working in rehab with the PTs one-on-one, which really gave me kind of this, um, amazing insight to how you rehab a body versus work out a body. And wasn't that how Joseph Pilates started with kind of, rehab? yeah, kind of. So, I mean, I think that's where he really found his sweet spot, but truthfully, from what we know, you know, he, he came over to the U S and there's a great book called the lion by John Steele, who it just came out in the last two years. He was Mr. and Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Pilates, um, attorney. 
And so he, he tells the story as much as he knows of the history of the Pilates method. But there's been a lot of interest in the history of it. And so from what we know, the most basic facts of it is that Mr. Pilates emigrated um, to the U.S. after staying in an internment camp during World War One, And he had been someone who trained the Hamburg police, who was very into physical fitness, who was into boxing and combat and gymnastics and things along those lines. And while he was in this internment camp in um, the Isle of Man, the um, head of the infirmary, someone in the infirmary came to him and said, would you have any interest? We know that you do this exercise thing. Would you have any interest in working with some of the patients in, in the um, infirmary? And he agreed. And he actually then went into the infirmary and took the bed springs off from underneath the beds and attached them to the bed frames so that bedridden patients could work out. And if you've seen any of the Pilates equipment, it's all based on laying down and spring tension. And so the, the influenza came through the entire internment camp. And he always said he didn't lose one person. Everyone who did his method, he didn't, they didn't um, succumb to the illness that swept through. And then he took those ideas and he brought them to New York City. And so he was in a very small little place and he opened this up and he started to refine what he was going to do, how he was going to teach it, why he was going to teach it. And so I've studied with, with Ron Fletcher, who was one of the original teachers, but also Kathy Grant was a good friend of mine's teacher. And um, I've studied with Mary Bowen as well, who was an original teacher. And what they've all said is that he he just sort of opened up with this idea that it was a physical conditioning thing and it would make your life better. We exercise the body as a whole and you can live a better quality of life. And what started to happen over the years, though, was that um, many a an injured dancer who was told they could never dance again would show up at his doorstep because at that time, there wasn't the sort of surgeries that we have now. There wasn't this huge um, knowledge of rehab and physical therapy. And so lots of those people came in. He didn't he did not say, oh, I'm going to rehab you. People would tell other people, oh, you have to go see Mr. Pilates. You can't dance anymore, go see Mr. Pilates. You fell off the stage, go see Mr. Pilates. And so these little wounded birds came in and the Pilates method helped them all. That is so interesting, Curry. Um, and being a former dancer who was injured quite a bit, I mm -hmm. have enjoyed my Pilates classes, but what should people look for in a Pilates teacher or trainer? I think what's most important is to find out what you want, because here's, here's the great thing about Pilates having expanded is that you have a lot of choice. And so the first thing is, what do you want to do with your Pilates practice? Are you someone who's coming back from an injury? Are you someone who's looking to, um, increase their overall fitness? Are you somebody who has never exercised? Are you an ex-dancer? Is that important to you to have some sort of grace in your work? Are you somebody who really enjoys lifting heavy weights and jumping around? You have to decide as the person who's hiring a teacher what it is that you, you really would like from the experience. 
I teach a very specific kind of work. I really like to be very specific with how I teach. I'm, as both of you know, I'm very nitpicky about how things are done and why they're done that way. Um, but my particular philosophy is that um, by doing that, we're going to get into the muscles that don't normally want to come to the table. And so when somebody's, right? And I don't know if that's what every single person would want from their Pilates teacher. I get a lot of people being like, um, I, my riding teacher told me I had to see you. My pelvic floor specialist told me I had to see you. Um, and so I get a lot of people from referrals because I'm doing something that's a little bit more outside of the norm of fitness. So I think the best place to start is to Ask your, you know, ask yourself what you're looking for, and then call the teacher and ask, "What is your philosophy in teaching? What is your style in teaching, and what is your background?" There's a national certification for Pilates teachers. Um, you can ask what schools they went to because schools are like law schools. You can go to whatever law school you want to go to, but you still got to pass the bar, and then you got to pass the bar in each state you want to practice in. And so, you know, I think that. Most teachers won't shut up about how they teach and why they teach that way. So it, feel free to call them and ask. We're happy to chat about it most of the time. And, and I think that that's a really good place to start. That's great because people wouldn't even think to ask all that, you know? Yeah. They would I just walk have. into a place. And, and most people, of course, go by referral. They know somebody. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have a referral and you're just flying blind and there's a Pilates place on every corner. Mm -hmm. I think everyone needs a, a, a baseline to yes. from. Yes, and when and the industry has changed. So when you ladies start started, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. From what I understand, you you paid a flat fee and you came out and you sort of were allowed to work out on the equipment by yourself. And there were teachers around that were correcting you a little bit, and you could take a private lesson. Those were sort of the two main ways that Ron told me that that's how he ran the studio. Yeah. And then over the years, it morphed into doing more private lessons and group mat classes. And every gym out there has a mat class. And mat class isn't, um, isn't the best choice for everybody. There's a lot of flexion. There's a lot of stuff if you have some back issues that might not be appropriate for you in that. But it's the most accessible thing to do, which is why it shows up in the gym. Especially which is, during this pandemic. Absolutely. And so if you don't like Matt, that's okay. There's other stuff. And thinking back to it, we did a couple things. We only had the reformer in those days. There mm -hmm. wasn't the Cadillac yet. Although mm -hmm. the trainer I found at Kim Lee, who started her own place, she went back to the roots and checked out everything. And she mm -hmm. was the first one that I ever saw that had a Cadillac. And that was when mm -hmm. she was teaching in her home. She had it in her living room. Yeah. But it was really fantastic. And everybody was like, what is this? So right? she went back to the older teachers. Mm -hmm. She worked with somebody in Santa Fe. You so would that would have been um, Eve Gentry. So yes. Eve Gentry was one of the original five who went to was in um, New York and was given permission to take it. And so Eve went to Santa Fe. And Ron always said that Eve was um, Joseph's favorite and the person that he would have wanted to really, you know, d do it all. She was just amazing. And so, yes, she went she went there and 
And that was sort of how it was. And then when I came into it, there were math classes that you could maybe access, you could take private lessons, and that was about it. And then the industry has changed probably in the last 10 years that we have these very large group equipment classes. And so I can also understand if you were to come into a studio like that, um, it can be confusing if there's a Pilates studio on every corner and you don't know what they're doing or what they're looking like. And there are plenty of studios that just run big classes of 12 or 13 performers at a time and doing that. And that makes the equipment work a lot more accessible for people, but it isn't the only way in which to do Pilates. And so I'm a big fan of find a studio that's fully equipped with a teacher who has an interest in teaching you. Um, but I think if you have an interest in Pilates and you're brave enough to go into the studio, you know, it's all good work. Mm -hmm. Great. How did you pivot your business strategy during the lockdown, which in Los Angeles was very strict and required workout studios and gyms to completely close down? Yeah, we closed down for a full year. Mm. So what I did in the beginning was, as I was telling you ladies earlier, um, we got the, the notice on the night of March 15th that we were to close. So on March 16th, I went into the studio and there were other teachers there. And I turned to one teacher and I said, uh, can you tell me how to use Zoom? Because I don't know what to do. And in that moment, we all thought it'll be two weeks. Let's just offer some mat and floor classes online. So Fletcher Pilates has a lot of different work that doesn't necessarily have to be just mat. We have the floor, the bar, the um, towel, foam roller, a bunch of different things. And so we set up classes for, with the idea that this was gonna be two weeks and we set it up through a web, um, a web email called Classes for Quarantine. And I put it on social media saying, hey, we're gonna do free classes for two weeks. And you know, we'll, we'll get back to you. And then the pandemic, went on far longer than any of us thought was going to happen. So the teachers and I got together and we decided there were some classes we really liked teaching and we felt it was really important for our mental health and the mental health of everyone that was attending that we continue them. So we have continued those classes throughout the pandemic and about three weeks into everyone taking a break from Pilates, I started to get phone calls and text messages from people being like, okay, I, I don't think I can do this. I, I'm hurting. I need something. And at that point, I decided to lend out the equipment inside the studio. So I lent out equipment to a lot of different clients that I had long relationships with. And I was able to, you know, from afar, teach them equipment classes on my equipment in their own homes. And that has continued up until today, because we are still at a very reduced capacity, even though we're legally allowed to be open in some way. I have a, a reformer at home and a friend back east who teaches Pilates. It's floor Pilates, and I don't like floor mat Pilates because mm -hmm. I have a weak back. So it's good to hear that because I guess I have to come back to you and work on my reformer. <laughs> <laughs> I need said, to too. Yes. <laughs> I need to too because I really feel bad that I haven't been doing it. 
And it, it's, it's funny, even I feel bad. So in my own personal life, you know, I came down to um, my mother and father's home in Laguna and it took about two weeks before I had scrounged enough Pilates equipment uh, and set up a Pilates studio in their garage. And it became like a joke that I would go out and do some Pilates in the garage and the neighbors would walk by and be like, so what are you doing in there? And I would be like, um, nothing, uh, nothing, because I was just like, I wasn't comfortable teaching necessarily in person, but yeah. I missed it so much that I set up like a, um, a, a temporary emergency Pilates studio in the garage, <laughs> but I miss my equipment. You know, the, the, the kind of equipment that I work on is really specific and I miss it. I'm grateful for what I have, but I really miss like working out on a full Cadillac. Yeah. I love yeah. the Cadillac. Tell mm -hmm. us, tell us about the new platform Age Bold, for which you're a trainer. Oh, it's such an exciting platform. So, um, I was contacted um, through friends that we mutually know, um, who who work with the creator of Age Bold, and it's a really wonderful platform for um, people that are looking towards fitness that complements aging and it's a really wonderful app right because there's actually we don't talk about this a lot but the body needs different things at different times and it's really important that we give the body what is best for it at any given time not what we think it has to happen or what we should be doing but what's best for it so age bold is a wonderful project and I was contacted by them at the beginning of the year and they had an interest in starting something that was mind body centric. And my goal was to bring something to them that brought the principles of Pilates, not just Pilates movements. Because I find myself included when I go into a Pilates class that doesn't have any of the thinking, doesn't have any of the foundation, I find myself not understanding why this should be difficult and not getting the benefits out of it. So I helped to start them on a path to working with mindful movement, Pilates based, but also with a lot of really great um, exercises that are both chair based, standing based. And oh yeah, they have things that um, senior people can do while seated, right? Yes, yes, I did. And, and that is for me, really important because I actually have the most Pilates I've done in the last year has actually been right in this chair that I'm talking to you right now mm -hmm. because I try in between clients to do a little bit of movement to add a little bit of things and to give people a routine that they can do in their chairs because we're all spending so much time at a desk at our kitchen tables more so than we ever have it's how our lives are happening right now yes and it can be dangerous for the body, right? Absolutely. I mean, sitting there, there was this, um, I guess two years ago, it came out of an article saying sitting is the new smoking. And <laughs> just over the course of the last, I know, over the course of the last 30 years, even in offices, the push has been to how do we do the least amount of work? And it actually would benefit our bodies if we did things like put printers on the other side of the office <laughs> space or, you know, yeah. put ourselves in this ability to get up and, and get down and, and to move around. And so I'm a big proponent of that. You know, even if you're not wanting to work out for bad knees or senior reason in your chair, we're here now. 
we may as well do some work. I've been getting right. tons of exercise walking to the stairs and going down to the refrigerator several times a day <laughs> and then coming up the stairs. <laughs> oh, Mary, <laughs> you downplay. She takes a major walk with her dog twice a day, a major <laughs> hike. You know? So we're also we're all we're all being really hard on ourselves about what we've done during this pandemic. And if I could say anything, I would be that um, we survived something extraordinary and difficult and hard, and our bodies have survived that for us and kept us safer. You know, have kept us whole throughout this time. And so we're all sort of feeling that about what we look like. And I think it's time to just check in with what we feel like at this point. Do you give your clients nutritional advice also? Yeah. Or do you perhaps send them to other sources for help with that? Um, so I'm gonna say something that's plain and controversial at the same time. Oh, excellent. So, <laughs> yes. It is outside of my scope of practice to talk about nutrition. I do not personally teach anything that isn't in my scope of practice. So I'm trained as a Fletcher Pilates teacher, rehab Pilates, different pieces of equipment. I'm also trained in and clinical somatics. So I will talk about those things. Everything else from that is referred outwards. And my personal opinion, but also um, I think something to take into account is that if someone does not have a degree in nutrition, it's not necessarily in their scope of practice. And those people do exist. There are trainers that are, um, are teachers that do have a background. They're either registered dietitians or um, nutritionists. That's just not me. And so I don't do it. And I am particularly cautious and I tell people to be cautious of someone giving you advice for something they are not educated in. So you do send them, if they ask you, you yes. send them to somebody, you have sources you refer to and stuff. Yes and no, I'll be honest with you because okay. it's, I want people to come into my studio in order to foster a loving relationship with their bodies and enjoy exercise. Um, there's not a ton of evidence that exercise promotes weight loss. And so when someone's looking for that, you know, it's, I want to send them to someone who can help with their overall health, not necessarily someone who would help them to lose weight because sometimes that isn't, that isn't really the biggest goal. You know, there's the wide range of bodies in the world and um, living comfortably in them is the most important thing. And that to me is what I try to foster at the studio, but I would refer out if someone said, I'm really confused about my diet and I want some help. At which point I would try and find them someone who's educated in diet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I bet that you're not a clinical psychologist as well. However, <laughs> I would also bet that people use you as a sounding board or as a mental health therapist while they're working out. Is that true? Absolutely. I think that your <laughs> Pilates teacher, I mean, everybody thinks their hairdresser knows everything. Um, but the truth is the Pilates teacher actually does. And, <laughs> That's true. And, you know, sure. and usually because, you know, and here's the great part is that um, we, we really get to be a part of someone's life for a long time. So I am seeing people, you know, sometimes more than people that I'm um, 
friends with. I'm seeing my clients because I'm seeing them between two and four hours a week for years. The average stay at my studio is about two years. So I'm actually spending quite a bit of time with them. And so, yeah, people tell me everything. And it's, it's really nice because it means that they feel comfortable and that it's a safe space. And, you know, sometimes we have feelings in our bodies that we can't articulate with our mouths until we move them out. And that's a really nice mm. process to be part of. That's true. It's interesting because I was 10 or 11 years into it when the pandemic started with you, you know, mm -hmm. with you, with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we have a long, a, a long relationship. Mary, you've been at this studio for at least six years. You know, at it's least. a long time. It is. Yeah. And it's, we look at, at, at um, you know, the history and we can pick right up. And that's such a wonderful thing. And that's the thing that, you know, I, I hope people also understand that the studio you decide to go to has a culture and you are invited to be part of that culture. And that's something you should consider too when looking for a place because that's, that is a big draw and whether or not, you know, it's funny, even on social media, I've got clients now saying to the other clients, I can't wait to see you again. It's fabulous. And everybody's signing off. And that's a really nice aspect of the social part of having a studio. Oh, it's wonderful to say, say it like that. And I was <laughs> going to ask if you're all your teachings done online now, but I guess it is, right? It is. I'm going to start to put my toe back into the water because we are allowed to open at 25%. So we're, we're fitness, that's where we are. Now, they're broad Would that categories. mean if you had three or four trainers training in the space, you can only have one of them in there? Yes, and you can only see, you know, I, I maybe saw eight people during a day. So that means I could see two at 25%. And so we're just not to the place where we can actually open back up full time. I'm hoping that that happens. And when it does, I will you know, give you a call right away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, will, you be changing, too. will you have to change the physical space? Are they going to require that too? Well, like with the, plexiglass so, and stuff. Mm -hmm. So when we got the original, um, guidelines they're 24 pages long so there was a brief moment in the summer where it was like yes and here are the guidelines to reopen well we know a lot more about covid so some of the sanitizing protocols actually turn out that they're not as necessary as we thought they were in the start of the pandemic and um the biggest thing for me that i'm trying to figure out at the at this point is that no one's allowed to cross back through the space. So what that means is that um, if I have two teachers and two clients working out and the room is a very long, narrow room, um, and the first person with me has to go to the bathroom, which is located in the back of this space, they could not come back through the space and cross. So mm -hmm. there are some real logistical things that have to change, and they may have to change in terms of we may not be able to have group classes for quite some time. We may have to only have one person in the studio at a time. And I'm hoping that, you know, everyone's schedules are a little more flexible now, which is a benefit. And so where nobody may want to come in at 3 p.m. in the past, that might be more of a doable thing now if it's the 
the safest time to come in. That's not yeah. Tell them all to go to the bathroom, though. Tell them all it's to go to the not. bathroom before they come. Right, but you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to bring your purses in. You're not allowed to bring oh. any personal effects in. We can't have water inside there. I mean, it's it's oh. so many rules, and it isn't cost effective. Um, but it's you know the bit I've had. I've been had my business for over ten years, and so the the idea of closing isn't um, cost effective necessarily either. It's a really interesting place to be as a small business owner right now um, because the future looks bright if we can get there, you know, um, it looks bright. And I think there'll be a big need for people to come in and move. But until then, we're all sort of, you know, making it up as we go along, trying to make good decisions. So you think online training and private lessons over Zoom and FaceTime are here to stay? I think so. And here's why. I, I think that once we're allowed to be open again, I will do the majority of my work with the people that I know and new people that try and find me. But I think what's been really interesting about the Zoom is that um, if someone gets caught at home because the repairman didn't come, or someone feels sick and they don't want to late cancel. We now know that we can very easily hop on Zoom and do an hour together and still make it work. So I think that it's going to be there. And I think that I'm still being contacted by clients that either moved out of the area or people that have found me on um, Instagram and they're taking lessons from all over the country. So I think it's here to stay. I don't think it's going to be in the same capacity, but I think it's really going to work for people when they get stuck at home, get a little ill, you know, something along those lines. And we'll be grateful that we figured this out. Yeah. And that would encompass a lot of your plans for the future then, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And have you ever thought about writing a book? I have thought about writing a book. Um, you know, I, I absolutely have thought about writing a book because I've, I've seen... I've seen the industry change dramatically and I've really thought about all the things that I've done. As I said, I, I met you, Kathy, when I, I was working with riders extensively and, you know, bodies are fascinating things. People are interesting. And I think there's a lot to be learned from people that have a different perspective other than like, do I fit in these pants? What's your cholesterol and things along those lines, people <laughs> who teach, you know, movement, we sit outside and we, we, we sort of are in it to have well-functioning bodies that are enjoyable. And that's sort of the, the path we're on. And that's a voice and a, and a, and a topic I wish would come up more often. Yeah, like how do we use this movement that we're learning at Pilates to go out into the world? Like yes. I, I needed to ride my horse. People mm -hmm. needed to play basketball and they needed to be able to walk yes. down the street. You know, Balance. Balance is such a huge oh. thing, right? And people don't think about it until it's a little too late. And what I mean by that is that you've gone down the stairs, right? And so, so working on that and getting a regular practice that challenges your vestibular system is is a great thing. And there's so much to be had that can really truly increase your, your, your lifestyle, right? It isn't, doesn't just have to be about, you know, again, our pant size or what we look like in a dress or how cut our arms are. It can be, do I get to be more mobile? Do I get to stay in my home longer? Do I get to pick up my own suitcase when I go to the 
um, uh, cruise ship. You know, like there's so many things that we don't realize that running on a treadmill isn't going to get you. That's so true. And and I read uh, recently that uh, movement staves off dementia, al mm -hmm. Alzheimer's, and keeps seniors at the top of their game. Absolutely, because the brain actually, there's tons of science on this. It's really fascinating stuff. But the brain actually creates more connections. It's challenged by things like movement. And that's really why we want to do good movement. We really want to do good exercise, right? Um, is that it's keeping us overall healthy. And I think so there's such a narrow way that people come through the door and it can be so much bigger and so much more enjoyable because when we take away things like, oh, I had to sweat, I had to be sore and we make it more about things like, wait, I get out of bed and my back used to be sore every day. And maybe that now happens twice a month. What a revelation and what, what a, you know, an add to your life. <laughs> Curry, this has been so interesting for me and so educational. Thank you very much. I know our listeners will find this really uh, an eye-opening talk, too. And they should know that our guest today has been Pilates expert Curry Campbell. And for more info on Curry, visit her new website, PilatesCurry.com. And you have to know that Curry spells her name k-e-r-r-i so you put pilates k-e-r-r-i.com and also you can go to uh pilates body shop la.com because you'll they'll have information when they start to open up again if you're in los angeles and also fo follow curry on instagram she has a fabulous instagram page at curry queen of movement and for more info on fletcher pilates visit fletcherpilates.com Thank you, Curry, so much. Yes, thank you. Thank you, ladies. It's always a pleasure to really um, talk about Pilates. And thank you so much for asking such great questions. Thank you for joining us on Late Boomers the podcast that is your guide to creating a third act with style, power, and impact. Please visit our website and get in touch with us at lateboomers.biz. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes of Late Boomers, go to ewnpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast sites. We hope you make use of the wisdom you've gained here and that you enjoy a successful third act with your own style, power, and impact. Have you ever asked yourself this question, why is it so hard to make a buck? <laughs> I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. 
It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help one million fulfilled women each achieve one million dollars in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.